0: It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. I'm Darren Hefty.
1: And I'm Brian Hefty. So it is a Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you. Our phone lines will be open all throughout the show today. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag In just a minute here, before we do, I will tell you that next Wednesday we have our soybean agronomy workshop coming up. Darren and I were just going through our workshop book a little bit and what we're going to be talking about next week. So it'll be everything from a little bit on drainage and fertility. We're going to talk about some of those high yield farmers who have had plots on our farm. They had plots on our farm five years in a row and talk about the different things they did to try to increase yield. We will cover weeds, insects, diseases, um, harvest moisture, planting population. I'm trying to think of anything in soybean production we're not going to (laughs) cover. But it's going to be a lot of fun. It's next Wednesday. Our in-person event is already full, but if you would like to watch online, you certainly can. Just become an Ag PhD Magazine subscriber. Go to agphdinsider.com to learn more or agphd.com to learn more about any of our upcoming events. All right, let's get to the ag PhD mailbag.
0: It's the mailbag. All right, we got a lot of questions today already, which is awesome. Uh, I get this one from Dara in Iraq, and Dara says, "I want to ask you about nutrients and different elements that I may need for producing trees." Uh, I've got a specific, there's a tr- specific tree species, polonia. I'm not sure exactly what that particular tree is, but trees in general, we can speak to. We we definitely have trees around our farm and, and office and so forth. So, Brian, what would you say about trees? You just put in some new tree belts here. What have you done differently with fertility there?
1: Well, the biggest thing with trees, and think about the tree. Uh, so when you start thinking about almost any tree, your first thought is maybe leaves, but your second thought is what? It's that stalk, that stump, that um, enormous base that the tree is going to end up having over time. Well, to build that, just think about crop production. What do we talk about? What's most important with a corn stalk or a soybean stalk or, or, or wheat? It's potassium. So Typically, we are going to encourage you to make sure your potassium levels are, I'm going to say, off the charts high, at least 8% on a base saturation K test, and you've got to have a tremendous amount in terms of parts per million. Now, I don't know if it's light soil or heavy soil you're dealing with. If it's light soil, you certainly can pump more potassium in over time. If it is heavy soil, that's very hard to do. So like on our ground, where we're cold, we're dry, we're super heavy ground, potassium barely moves in soil, so we put a crazy amount on in advance of planting the trees. But in your case, like I say, if you have light ground You're obviously a much warmer climate, and if, let's say, you were going to be irrigating as well, then you certainly could put some potassium on each year for a while just to get that thing started. But you absolutely will see more growth out of that tree and a much better stalk if you— Have more potassium. So that's really number one. Beyond that, we just want the overall soil balanced, and by balanced, I mean we want a good level of calcium, like 65 to 75 percent in a base saturation test, and at least a lower level of magnesium, somewhere in the 12 to 20 percent range, ideally. Uh, You got to make sure you have micronutrients out there. You've got to have some sulfur out there. So it's all the standard kind of stuff we talk about here on the show every day. But, yeah, potassium is the biggest thing that separates it when we start talking about trees compared to just normal annual crops.
0: All right. Thanks for the question. Thanks for checking out our program. Uh, Brian, you got a a couple of soil tests here and then some some other variable rate maps, I believe, too. And I sent you an email copy in case you can't read those. Uh, I've been listening to your show for a while. This is from Brett, and I think he's Iowa here. He said, oh, yeah, Iowa. Here we go. I farm heavy soil in Iowa, 25 to 37 CEC. Everything looks low compared to the numbers that you talk about shooting for on soil tests. And I'm wondering what would be some good goals for me. Here are some soils in an area that I'm going to be planting soybeans in, 6.7 pH, mid-40s in parts per million phosphorus, uh, 225 parts per million K, but only 1.6% base saturation because the soil is heavy. And uh, typically high calcium soils in the upper 70s in base saturation. Neil Kinsey writes that potassium will be tied up if we try to build when our pH is over 65 plan to attend your winter meetings. Just wondering what you think.
1: Yeah. So first of all, with really heavy soil, it is a little bit more challenging, but we have to ask ourselves, number one, why is it super heavy? And two, what can we do to make this ground better, obviously? So why is it heavy? When it, The way it looks to me is calcium. You just have a tremendous amount of calcium out there. And that's not necessarily bad. Okay, if you had crazy amounts of magnesium, that potentially could be problematic. So I'm not that worried about it. One of the biggest things that I would say is we've dealt with soils like this ourselves on our own farm, and sulfur becomes a real big key. I, I noticed just looking through your, your soil tests here, your sulfur levels are low. We can't have sulfur levels low in super high calcium ground. I, I, if, I'll put it this way. If you get a fair amount of sulfur out there every year, what you're going to end up doing is you'll be starting to draw down that calcium a little bit, which will be a good thing because you're just, like I say, really, really high right now. Uh, and let's see. I don't even have your parts per million on calcium. I wish I had a complete, uh, all, all the information. I, I don't have everything. But anyway, your calcium number, some are over 78% in terms of your base saturation test. So make sure you've got ample sulfur out there. And let's see, pH. Where was, uh, do I have pH on here? Oh, yeah, there it is. Your pH is perfect. You're at a 6.7. So don't get too worried about you can't build K. You can absolutely build K. Don't worry about it. You're fine. And in terms of your parts per million on K, I mean 200, well your average is 243. It may sound high. But that's not high at all. That's high for low-yielding crops. It's not high for big-time crops. Get that K number up to 600, then your base saturation K is gonna be around 4%. You need to do that. That'll absolutely help yield. Well stay tuned. We'll be right back after this.
2: Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with Mycoapply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
3: It's about time. Applied at planting, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind in-furrow Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions.
4: Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. It's a Farmer Friday. Our phone lines are open all throughout the show at 844-44 phd Or you can email us like Brett did radio at agphd.com. Good way to take a look at soil samples. And Brian, you had a few more comments on the one we were just talking about.
1: Yeah, so right before the break, we were talking about Brett's soil test and soil tests and our suggestions. Couple couple last things, and I, I ran out of time there. When I looked at his Malik 3 numbers, that's equivalent to a P2, so a strong Bray test uh, on the Brays. So we want that number to be high. I mean, on my farm— if I'm not at 100, I'm going to be awfully sad. And he's at an average of 43. So he's really low. And then the next thing is, in relation to that, you got to have zinc up. So roughly we're talking 10 to 1. With a P2, it's probably not a 10 to 1. It might be closer to 12 to 1 or 15 to 1. But the point is, he's only at one part per million of zinc. That's too low. Copper's less than one part per million. Need more of that. Boron's less than one part per million. Need more of that. And then the other thing that a lot of people will ask us, they go, hey, wait, my magnesium here is only at 7%. Now, this is a heavy soil. So there's a fair amount of magnesium out there. We have to assume. I don't know that I have. Oh, yeah, I do have parts per million. On average, his parts per million are probably 350. Okay, so it's pretty good. But that's one of the things where we're talking about, all right, By making sure you have not just adequate sulfur to raise the crop, but more than enough sulfur so you can actually start drawing your calcium down. You'll start to lighten your soil a little bit, and your ratio of calcium to magnesium will start to improve, I'm going to assume. So that's—I don't know if I'm going to spend the money on magnesium, even though— technically you're a little bit on the low side if you wanted to try just a little magnesium sulfate let's say in the middle of the summer with some corn or something give that a shot and just see and maybe you could raise your magnesium levels in the plant that might help but like i say if you just keep overdoing it to some degree on sulfur i'd probably put out twice as much as my crop needs every year for a little while see what happens Number one, your plant needs a lot of sulfur to begin with, and it's leachable, so you never know if it's going to be there or not. But two, that'll help hopefully draw that calcium down, and my guess is you're going to turn out better in the long run. Otherwise, a lot of the other stuff looks good.
0: All right, thanks for the questions. Look forward to, to seeing you or talking to you with more questions at the workshops coming up this winter by the way if you're interested in coming to an ag phd agronomy workshop brand talked about it just a little bit ago we we don't have any more room for the in-person version but you can catch the virtual version live on february 3rd so just check that out at agphd.com sit back to the phone lines here we've got rock with us right now how you doing rock
5: Wonderful, fellas. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be on your show this afternoon.
0: I really like your program. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So uh, what did you learn this year? Do you get some big lessons from 2020's farming to, to apply in 2021? Or what are you excited about?
5: Well, it, in this game, you can never be too old to learn. Uh, July 1, we had the biggest crop we were looking at. Emergence was excellent. We didn't lose any stand to ponding. So we, uh, you know, forward sold some crop. We took nine for soybeans instead of uh, possibly eight, three fifty-five for corn, and then it didn't rain all of July and all of August. So that was quite a learning experience. uh, When it things happen in south america as they have and the prices we're currently looking at so you're never too old to learn in this game that's for sure
0: no no it's definitely one of those years for a lot of reasons that we'll be looking back on but we had the same situation where we had this nice looking crop and all of a sudden it just quit raining so what do you do with that going into this year did you catch up on any moisture over the winter we're we're still pretty low in subsoil moisture at least for my standards
5: And in northwestern Illinois, we're located about 30 miles east of Moline, right on Interstate 80. And we are very fortunate in our area. We have good subsoil moisture. We got a terrific amount of fall strip tilling done, more than we ever have in the past. And there was a few fields here and there we couldn't get on because we just too wet and standing water. So I have friends in central Illinois, and they commented about how their ditches were dry and soils were so dry. Northwestern Illinois, we're, we're in pretty good shape for subsoil and we're really white right now And where you have a big storm coming through Saturday, Sunday. So, uh, Anyway, with the amount of strip tilling fertilizer we got on, we're anticipating a, a good jump on spring this year, and we'll just have to wait till it warms up and go from there.
0: Yeah, it sure was nice being able to get a lot of that work done in the fall, and I know for a lot of folks that we were talking to, even in December, they were still going in a lot of places in the upper Midwest, which is just crazy. So, okay, talk to me about spring then. Do you plant beans first, or do you plant corn first?
6: Well
5: we are planting some soybeans earlier than we have in the past uh we've got some sand ground that really needs uh we're going to put a shorter season bean on there to get cover crop on there it's highly erodible and with just the bean stubble on there and then if we go in with strip till bar we don't have enough cover on there so we definitely want to get some cover crop on there and get it started we can irrigate it to get it growing So we will, but soybeans, I really like to scatter them out. I like to kind of really spread out my risk. Uh, So many years, I've had beans planted the end of May out yield, the ones that were planted early. It all depends on when those late summer rains finally come and those fuller season beans, if they're still green yet, when you finally get some rain in the early September, what a difference those beans will yield you know we've seen where it can make eight bushel acre difference just the size of the bean in that pot absolutely I I like to spread out soybean planting but we really like to get corn in early and ideal date for us is April 15th 16th if we have soil temperature early in the morning so the earlier you start the earlier you get done
0: well I love it Rock that's a great one to end on too. never never too old always keep learning and uh, wow you had some great great tips there really appreciate it Rock thank you so much enjoy the rest of your winter
5: Thank you, fellas. Talk to you later.
0: You bet. Set down to Tennessee. We've got Eddie with us right now with a question on group 15s. I understand. Eddie, how you doing?
7: Doing good.
0: All right. What are you thinking on group 15s? Which crop are we talking about here?
5: Uh, soybeans. And of and course, uh, a lot of different chemicals are, are under that heading is a group 15, you know, Zidua, Outlook, Dualed, and There's a lot of difference in the price of them, and I guess you'd think that if they're under that group, that they'd kind of all be the same, but evidently they're not. Is one better than the other?
1: Yeah, it depends a lot on the situation. So Warrant, for example, that's that's basically harness without the corn safener. That's going to work with the least amount of rain. It's the best on broadleaves. Uh, but it isn't going to last probably as long in the soil if you get tremendous amounts of rain. So on the other hand, Zidua takes the most rain for activation, but it sticks around the longest if you have lots of rain. So in Tennessee, you get at least double what we get for rainfall here in South Dakota. So I might be considering Zidua because you never know when you're going to get a particularly wet summer. If you want that residual to hang around longer, Zidua is a better choice. Now in between that are Dual and Outlook. And the biggest difference there is dual is the worst of all the four products, warrant, Zidua, dual and outlook. Duals the worst on broadleaves. Outlook's not too bad. Outlook's probably fairly similar to Zidua and then warrant would be the best on on the broadleaf weeds. And by broadleaf weeds we're talking about uh, Palmer pigweed, water hemp, lamb's quarters, uh, those kind of weeds. So those are the major differences between them. All right. So, yeah, I I understand in terms of the pricing, it can vary, and it also varies a lot depending on what other products you're using on the farm. So, for example, with Outlook, um, if you're buying some other BSF products, they do have some rebates out there that might get you back a couple bucks an acre. Okay, that's a big deal. Warrant, that's in on the Bear Plus program. If you're buying other Bear products, you could get as much as $5 an acre off your Warrant. With Zidua, you could buy the straight Zidua. You also could get a combination product. So, for example, uh, we might on our farm use just a little bit of Anthem Max this year. That's got Zidua in it along with Cadet. So if you wanted a combination product, um, Anthem Max is pretty good. But I'd also say Warrant Ultra. Is pretty good. So Warrant Ultra has Flex Star in there in addition to the Warrant. The Zidua also has a Group 15, uh, but then it's got that, uh, that Cadet that would kind of compare to the Flex Star that's in Warrant Ultra. So I probably totally confused you now, Eddie, but I will say there are a lot of products. They're all good on grass. Okay, that's the good news. All those group 15s are about equal on grass control. The difference is really rainfall, broadleaves, and how long they are going to stick around in the soil. Hey, thanks for the call. We get a run, but uh, appreciate talking to you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Ag PhD Radio.
0: As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine
8: It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker treated nitrogen.
3: You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen from conception to completion. There's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com
0: Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio, I love it. You never know what questions are coming because it's wide open today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you've got an agronomic question. Let's head to Northeast Wisconsin first. We've got Zane on with us, wants to talk about watering and subsurface irrigation. How are you doing, Zane? Well, not too bad. All right, what's your question? What? Um, my question
6: is, I got a bunch of raised gardens I made this last year. Right? It was 275 gallon totes. And would, with being gone all the time, I, I work besides farm. I'm wondering, what I want to do is connect all the drains together on the bottom and take a ninth tote and put like a water tank floating there to keep the water at the same level through all the totes. I'm just wondering how far from the bottom of the roots should I have that water level at in that across all them totes.
1: Okay, gotcha. So... <laughs> If it was, well, I'll just say this, out in crop fields, we talk all the time about putting tile lines a minimum of about two and a half to three feet down because we want that water table at, at least that far down in the ground. Uh, so generally speaking, I would say we're, we're looking at a water table three to four feet down. If you're that, then your roots have plenty of room to grow. If you have the water table, let's say two feet down, it's not bad. There are some people that have that, but your roots just don't go down as deep. Now, you're in a little different situation where you're controlling the water, you're controlling the fertility, everything you're you're, you're in control yep. of. So, yep. you know, I, I, I don't know that it's that big a deal for you to have the water table four feet down or anything like it might be for those of us in crop fields where we worry that, uh-oh, a rain all of a sudden is going to raise that up by two feet in three days. So, yep. you know, as long as you can prevent massive rains from coming in and dramatically raising your water table up, uh, you should be in good shape. But I would say, yeah, a minimum of two feet, and that's probably what I would, what, where I would start.
6: Okay, what I did last year. A couple times I put the sprinkler on, you forget about it, walls and everything's floating. Yep. So what I did is about a foot from the top, I drilled holes up at the, what is that landscape fabric in the inside and I drilled sure. holes then Yep. so the water could drain off at least a foot from the top. Yeah. So whatever I fill up the water, at least they're not saturated for days.
1: Yeah, if it was me, I might drill that hole at two feet instead of one foot. One foot to me is that's that that's too high. There are so many roots that do a lot of good for the plant that are down below 1 foot. Uh, that, that I I would just I do it just a, a little bit differently, but yeah, you had a yep. good idea there. That was a good thought just in case you overdo it.
6: <laughs> well, that's I did it after I did it the second time, I knew I had to do something different. Yep. The first time I did it, I didn't realize how quick Oh yeah. it was right off. I mean 20 minutes. Yep. Course, the oil's so dry, it's coming away from the edges. Put the sprinkler on for twenty minutes. All of a sudden, water's to the top.
1: And yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yep. So. All right. All right. So I'm good. Thank you. You bet. Good luck, Zane. Zane.
0: Really appreciate yep. it. Yep.
1: Thanks.
0: Let's get to uh, Dean down in Mississippi. Dean, how are you doing?
7: Doing very good. How about you guys?
0: We're doing well. All right. So when does uh, when does farming start? When does planting start for you in Mississippi?
7: Well, last frost date is April 15 uh or well it's actually 13 I think. But we're going to try to have corn in the ground. We we didn't uh we didn't work our corn we didn't chisel our corn ground this year. We we ended up cutting our beans in pretty dry conditions so we ended up just re-bedding. So we're going to have <clears throat> it's going to dry out a lot sooner. So we're going to try to put some corn in the ground very tail end of March hopefully hopefully have it up shortly after that last frost date, maybe even a little sooner. Yeah. Maybe even a little bit before it.
0: Yeah, it'll be so, interesting to see how that plays out for you. I, I know a lot of growers around the country that we talk to are, are playing with those planting dates a little bit, and especially when prices are up, they get kind of excited about a number of things. But my dad always said you'd, you'd really ideally just want to plant once. <laughs> that would be really good. But
7: Yeah, Oh well, that's for sure. Our biggest push here is, we get southern rust, but if we plant early, very early April, late March, we get in. We're past We're past maturity by the time uh, by the time the southern rust hits, and so it saves us. I have I have flown on fungicide before with late planting dates and early planting dates, and it makes a difference on the late ones. You know, I'm talking like very first of May. We see some yield benefit to fungicide on southern rust. If we get into that mid-April, early April planting date, there's just no benefit. I just, We just don't see any yield. We still get the southern rust. It still gets combined as black as coal by the time you're done, and it's just nasty, but it doesn't seem to affect our yield any. So. Yeah,
0: that is that is not a fun disease to work mm-hmm. with. I, I know we had growers, gosh, we even had just a tiny little bit of southern rust, believe it or not, all the way up on our farm in South Dakota, but it came so late in the year it didn't amount to anything. It was very, very minor. But, but yeah, I, I talk to growers all the time in the south. They're like, all right, find me the answer for that. Find me the resistant hybrid. <laughs> Do you see a big difference with the hybrids?
7: Um, no, not so terrible much. It doesn't seem to really pick and choose too much. Um, I haven't done a lot of yield research on my own farm with it just because I've just, I've seen that two years ago. I had some early planted corn, some late planted corn, and we flew fungicide on all of it. Seen the benefit on the late stuff. Didn't see any benefit on the early stuff. And so, you know, I, we've just, I think pretty much variety wide, your maturity date depends on that. It depends a little bit on where it's at. Sure. So like what a lot of times we'll get a hurricane that'll come up out of the Gulf or a tropical depression, and that's when we get it. It comes up on them tropical depressions and them hurricanes, and that's what's so frustrating. If you see one coming, if it's really early in the year, I will fly fungicide to try to get ahead of it sure it's common it's not if it's when
0: well i like i like the idea of hey if we can just plant early we can get out there and beat a lot of these things i know a lot of guys will talk about trying to beat the heat but but uh, i really appreciate that tip today dean Uh, you can beat some of these diseases too if you get after it really on the early side hey dean uh, thank you so much really appreciate talking to you and good luck here with the early planting on corn yes sir Let's head over to Iowa. We've got Rick on with us right now. He's out loading some corn right now. Rick, did it finally hit a price that you liked, or did you contract this a little too early?
8: Well, I, I don't want to tell you what I sold this for, but it keeps getting better. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, I, here's how I look at it on our farm, because I always sell too soon. And I figure, well, if that's what it takes to get the price to go up, I'll do it. And if, if uh, cutting some alfalfa out there is what it's going to take to get it to rain, that seems to work too.
8: Yeah, yeah, I, I know the feeling. But uh, <laughs> I sell corn in, in five thousand bushel increments. Is usually what I do. So it keeps getting better. So I'll keep selling. So
0: you know, that's that kind of reminds me. My my grandpa hefty talked about that. He. His goal was to sell 150 second to the crop every week so he got the average price for the year just because most guys will sell in the lower third of the price so he thought if he was average he'd be he'd be in good shape uh, do you do you make quite a few sales then throughout the year if you if you do it on in smaller increments?
8: Yes I do I mean you know I'm selling I mean the other day with the report I sold some before the report I sold some right after the report and then I sold some after the market went up you know an hour after the report so I don't know. The, the grain buyers probably don't like it, but that's the way I do it. So
0: nah, it, they're they're just you know. fine. They like a steady supply, Rick. So I think you're probably one of their best friends.
8: It seems to work. So you know, you never you never hit very many home runs, but you you hit a lot of singles. So
0: okay, so if you're loading corn right now, talk to us about grain condition. Then we've had a, an above normal temperature winter, but hey, you're still in Iowa, so it's still cold. Is the grain holding pretty good? Quality really good
8: it's, it's outstanding right now. We, we cored everything. Uh, December, you know, I try to go around and get, get the cores pulled out of all the bins. And now we're, you know, going around and pulling some more out of each of them. Just, I, I think it really helps to move a little grain. If you do have a spot started, it, it helps out and you get a look at all the bins and, just seems to work,
0: so. Yeah, absolutely. Those are great tips, and I, I do like that about selling a little bit here and a little bit there. I mean, it takes a little bit of work, getting, this, getting a small amount out of every bin, but man, it sure pays off when you don't have spoilage and loss. Hey, Rick, thank you so yeah. much. Really appreciate talking to you. Be safe around those grain bins, and and uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime. All right, you guys take care. Yeah, thanks. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. We're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844- 44 Ag PhD. We'll be right back after this.
8: You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotryon herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower costs to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Ivinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Ivinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com.
3: No matter what time of the year it is on your farm...
4: Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid precision crop nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News.
6: Innovation has come to the world of burndown.
3: New Elevor herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS resistant weeds like mares tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevor herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burn down.
2: When it comes to commanding herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Panther SC, an animal when it comes to speed of control and long residual on a broad spectrum of tough broadleaf weeds, like tail, palmer amaranth, and water hemp. And did we mention convenience? Panther SC works in preplant, pre-emerge, and post harvest systems and keeps your rotation options open. Newfarm and Panther SC, here to help.
8: Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com/hypro.
3: Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed to soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. We've got Keith with us right now in Illinois. Keith, how are you today?
9: I'm doing all right, Darren. How are you?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. What's on your mind today?
9: Oh, just doing the normal wintertime stuff, working in the shop and trying to take care of orders and prepaying and stuff like that.
0: All right, let me ask you a question. If you're working on working in the shop. Now, I grew up on a farm that did not have a heated shop. But when I was, I think, maybe six or seven, dad dad decided, we got to have a heated shop. So I don't know if he had to, I don't know what he had to do to make that happen, but but he did. And we had a heated shop, and that was a game changer for us. How about for you? Did you grow up with a heated shop that you were used to that? Or is that something that you said, man, this, enough of this?
9: I'm uh, about the same boat you are, Darren, because I, I definitely remember whenever you, uh, you went in the shop and you, you turned on a heater to warm it up a little bit because uh, you know, it's the same temperature as the outside, but you know, we've gotten it to where now uh, it, is, it is heated and, and obviously just makes everything so much easier to work on stuff, and, and you tend to do a better job at your job.
0: Well, and now I think the, the upgrade that that this generation is seeing is just excellent lighting. I know we had a heated shed, but the lighting was eh, not the greatest. And and now, man, some of these <laughs> shops that I visit, it, it's amazing. It's about like being in a factory. You guys can see stuff really well.
9: It, it is. And, and of course, you know, like you said, when you're younger, uh, the mentality back then I think was, well, a shop doesn't really make you any money, but You know, anymore. It's like, especially with uh, trying to get your planter just exactly how you want it to to be ready to roll in the spring. Um, There's some uh, intricate things that you need to be doing. And like you said, that, that lighting plays a big role in that.
0: Well, I, I, I hear from a lot of farmers this year that sh- that the shop has been some pretty good mental therapy for them. At least they got someplace <laughs> they can go and do something physical and uh, get their mind off some of the things. But you mentioned you're doing some office work or some book work, too, with year-end and prepay and that type of stuff. What was this year like for you? Did you see input prices on the way up, or, or did you catch them when they were cheap?
7: Oh,
9: you know, we caught a few things that were, that were down, and of course, you know, like, you know what fertilizer prices are doing, and, and I bought a little bit of that before, before we caught, uh, caught the increase in the price, and, and uh, I just wish I had some more grain to sell.
0: yeah yeah no kidding no kidding yeah we were just talking to rick over in iowa and he was hauling out some corn today and and he said yep the price has gone up since he sold this chunk but he just keeps selling little chunks and and yep he's not going to get the high price on everything but he's going to get a little bit on something so yeah it's tough to out guess that
9: it it, it is and it's uh it's everything that everything that 2020 told us i think was was telling us to sell to sell and, and, and we did. And, and, uh, I think we need to kind of keep that in mind. Uh, but, uh, as far as the input prices, um, hopefully they're going to be be to where a guy can make some money in
0: 2021. Yeah. Yeah. It sure looks like we got a shot at it anyway. Uh, last question for you. Are you switching anything up with your rotation with corn and beans? Are you going heavy to one crop or the other or just stand the same?
9: I, I kind of debated that, but I, I'm really, I'm really pretty much staying the same in my rotation. i about a, probably a third of my corn is, is corn on corn and, and the rest of it is rotated. And I've, so far, I'm just, I'm just planning on sticking with that.
0: Yeah, it's tough to outguess things. I, I uh, have a friend who hosts another radio show, and he was talking to me about it this morning. And he's like, what do you think? And I said, well, I think the guys that are in a rotation, a lot of them have got pretty good reasons for being in that rotation. <laughs> and they've been through a few of these cycles before. But you do see some guys jumping and, and throwing a bunch of acres one way or the other. But, but yeah, I kind of agree with you. Unless you're going to lock everything in. The markets can move, so yeah, one price may be a little better right now, but who knows what it'll be by harvest?
9: For sure, for sure.
0: Well, Keith, it was great talking to you again. Uh, thanks for thanks for uh, the visit, and good luck here. Stay safe out in that shop.
9: Same to you, Darren. I enjoyed it.
0: You bet. Thanks. Got a question that came in. This one is from Matisse, who said we farm about four thousand acres. We do a lot of soil testing is there a certain point where it's feasible to buy or build your own soil testing lab?
1: <laughs> uh, I don't so know if So somebody must have that. just got the
0: bill for their soil <laughs> testing this year is my yep. guess. You know, that's the one, one question. Now, if you're a follow-up question for you, Matisse, is just do you just want to run your own samples or do you want to run samples for others? Because that really changes things.
1: And I I think- Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. That's not his question. That's a whole business. So he's not asking about running a business- He's asking about, for his farm, at what point is it justifiable? I doubt you're going to run into that unless you farm a crazy amount of acres. Or unless
0: you're raising really high-dollar crops that you say, you know what? I'm going to run multiple tests throughout the year, and I'm also going to do some tissue testing or some sap testing or some of that kind of thing,
1: too. Yeah. Now, on the flip side, if let's say that you just happen to have somebody working in your organization who uh, has done tests for a lab before, you could certainly get it set up. You just want to make sure that you have good consistency and that you're following good procedures because the last thing you want to have happen is you have bad data coming out of your own lab.
0: All right. Thanks for the questions. Got this one from PA who said, we had been using some sulfuric acid in addition to our improvements in drainage, trying to lower pH, but we've heard now about elemental sulfur. Just wondering what your experience on that is. We don't know how much to use per hectare we are planting sugar cane.
1: Yeah, but you could get it figured out. So have somebody work through the numbers with you on whatever type of elemental sulfur you would buy and what, because eventually elemental sulfur is going to convert over to sulfuric acid anyway. But obviously elemental sulfur is going to be way easier to handle, uh, way safer to handle than sulfuric acid. So you can accomplish the same thing by putting that elemental sulfur out there and that's in my opinion, what I would certainly want to do.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of difference in elemental sulfur products and we certainly like the ones with small particle size that break down quickly and are are available faster out in the soil. So That'd be something to look for as well. Yes,
1: and that's the advantage that you would have with the sulfuric acid. Obviously, it's already in the sulfuric acid form, whereas elemental sulfur, it's going to take a little while for that conversion to happen. But I would say if you have heat and you have moisture, then it's going to happen a lot faster for you than it is for us where we are cold and we are typically dry.
0: Thanks for the questions, PA. Really appreciate that. This one comes from Robert and you said you were talking about building organic matter and I think there's something missing when a lot of people are talking about organic matter. It's comprised of many essential elements that have to be brought in. Now, oxygen, hydrogen, and carbon come naturally along with some nitrogen. Many of the other elements do not. There has to be a chemical balance out in the soil, also, balance to add 2% of organic matter is the addition of 10,000 pounds of carbon to an acre of soil profile. Uh, thanks for the for the comment, Robert. A lot of people talk about the big well, numbers and, and so many pounds, and it's going to take forever. And I, I think it's really been interesting, Brian, just in our lifetime, how much we've been able to build organic matter levels on our own farm. And then I look statewide, just in our home state of South Dakota, when farmers switch to reduce reductions in tillage, some of the guys are using some cover crops and just a lot more corn in the system now. And wow, there have been some pretty big increases in organic matter, relatively speaking, just in our lifetime.
1: Okay, but to his point about these other elements, the crop needs other elements. The livestock need other elements. So keep in mind, organic matter is decayed, plant and animal residue. My point is there are going to be those other elements that are in that residue. So yes, I mean, we, we agree. It's not just carbon and oxygen and hydrogen. It is a whole bunch of other stuff.
0: All right. Thanks for, for the question there. Uh, Got a number of questions uh, coming up here in the Ag PhD mailbag. Our phone lines are open at eight, four, four, Forty-four ag phd and also you can send us an email radio at agphd.com. i uh, got this one from deja who said i want to talk about chelated iron and what you think about that for solving some of the iron issues out there like iron deficiency chlorosis
1: okay uh, i'll tell you what let's handle that one right after this break because iron deficiency chlorosis is an enormous problem and And if you don't handle it correctly, it can cut your yield just tremendously in a number of different crops. And the funny thing, well, not not exactly funny, the ironic thing is it's not that your soil is short on iron. It's not. So we'll explain that coming up right after this on Ag PhD Radio.
3: A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. I'll take predictability where I can get it.
4: With their CropWise Seed Selector, NK Seeds combines local knowledge and local data to show me where their seed fits.
1: And even where it doesn't. Because out here, predictability is hard to come by. And success matters. Find your seed at nkseeds.com.
3: Phil wants You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and Nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options
2: are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky Herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy to handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at
3: OpenSkyHerbicide.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet, however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com
0: slash farm your way. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on Farmer Friday. Just before the break, we get a question from Deja about chelated iron and how that could potentially help with problems like iron deficiency chlorosis. Brian, you want to talk just a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So first of all, iron deficiency chlorosis happens when soil pH goes above 7. At that point, then iron can turn from the, what I will often refer to as good form of iron ferrous that the plant can use into the ferric form of iron that the plant can't use uh, so or doesn't use so the point is there's still iron in the soil it just has converted over to ferric instead of ferrous so we don't want that and what you need to do long term is get your ph down get your ph down below seven that problem goes away now, if you have iron deficiency chlorosis, it can certainly be accentuated if you have compaction, if you have uh, high nitrate, high salt levels. I mean, there are a number of high carbonates and bicarbonates. There are a number of things that can make it even worse. Okay, You add more stress on, it gets even worse. In terms of solving it in the short term, because you might say, well, I can't get my soil pH down this spring and i got to plant beans there. What am I going to do? So what we found is using an iron chelate— in furrow, you can have some positive result. Now, it doesn't always work out this way. And sometimes you can make the plants greener and you still don't have the yield gain, unfortunately. And we really see that when you spray later in the year. So let's say that you have iron deficiency chlorosis. You do nothing early and your beans turn yellow in the beginning of July. And you go, whoa, I got yellow beans. I'm going to go spray some iron out there. You can go spray the iron out. Your plants turn green, but you don't gain the yield. So we found the better chance of gaining yield is putting the iron chelate in furrow. And certainly the crop prices today help versus lower crop prices because you need a lot less to make this pay. And these iron chelate products, they're pretty expensive. So, uh, and Darren, what's the, what's the form? Uh, E D D H A. Thank you. (laughs) I I keep, I always forget how many D's it is in there, but anyway, yeah. E D D H A. And, uh, look for that and he should be in pretty good shape.
0: All right. Uh, Thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Uh, I get this one from Cody in Minnesota and they're wondering, is it okay to have silage corn in the same field year after year or should they be rotating in corn for regular grain harvest to keep the leaves and stalks in the field. It's
1: interesting because we're looking at this exact same thing on our farm. A small dairy next to us got bought out by a larger dairy, and we're going to be producing a lot of silage for them. Well, I like it. That's good, and I don't mind going corn on corn. There's no problem with that. But we have one field this year that's been silage two years in a row. Now we're putting it back to grain corn for a year. Okay, so I I do think that is a good idea. It is possible to deplete your soil's organic matter very slowly uh, over time. If you, you know, Even if you are, let's say, going no-till, if you take all that residue off, it's still possible to deplete that soil's organic matter, although it doesn't happen real fast. But if you just every once in a while keep a regular grain rotation in there, and again, the big key for organic matter, because that's usually what everybody gets worried about, the big key is reducing tillage. Or if you say, well, I'm not going to reduce tillage because they're going to put manure out there. Okay, if they're putting manure out there, then that really helps replace that organic matter as well. Uh, But anyway, yes, I would try to rotate it.
0: All right, he had one other question too. He said he wanted to apply 67 gallons of liquid 28% nitrogen.
1: That's like 200 pounds of actual, N.
0: And wondering if he should put it on all before planting or if he should split it and put 20 gallons or so on top after planting and then...
1: Uh, yeah. Now yeah. that's, oh, it, it, that is a big question that almost every it's, farmer it's out there is going to ask. about
0: ammonium thiosulfate too, if you should put some of that with it. Uh, yeah.
1: So here's the thing. We don't have a soil test, so I don't know what his soils look like. Our standard recommendation is this. If you have cation exchange capacity of over 20, then you're pretty safe putting 200 pounds of nitrogen out there, assuming there isn't any out there already. And you should be in pretty good shape. But if, let's say, you had a 12 CEC, well, that's only 120 pounds of nitrogen we'd want you to put out in advance. So take 10 times your CEC. That's the maximum we would ever want you to put on in one shot for nitrogen. Now, the other thing that goes into this is moisture. So, for example, on our farm last year, the entire year, I mean all 12 months, counting the snow, we had 14 inches of precip. That's it. 14. Okay. So if I put nitrogen out a week before I need it in the middle of the summer, what are the odds that I'm going to get enough rain to not only get the nitrogen in the ground, but also get it into the plant? Those odds are slim. So my point is this, where we farm, where we are cold, we're dry, We have really heavy soil. I want almost all my nitrogen out there up front, especially right now when I have no subsoil moisture going into the year. The last six months of 2020 were the driest in the history of the state of South Dakota. Okay, so if we're coming off the driest six months ever, do I really want to trust that I'm going to get enough rain through the spring and through the summer to get my nitrogen into the plant timely? No way. I got heavy soil. I'm putting all my nitrogen out up front this year. So it's different than when in 2018 and 2019, we had record precip. In those years, it was much smarter to put some out early and follow with some later on. So this is a complete judgment call. The heavier your ground, the less moisture you get, the more nitrogen needs to be out there in advance. The lighter your soil, the more moisture you get. uh, Then... You, you got to go later on. So less moisture, heavy soil, put it on early. More moisture, light soil, put it on later. And as far as ammonium thiosulfate, I mean, just getting sulfur, that's just nitrogen and sulfur. The, in terms of the sulfur, you need sulfur all through the season, and you need a lot. Take a look at the corn removal. I mean, if you're going for big-time corn yield, even 250 or 300 bushel corn, it takes a crazy amount of sulfur. And sulfur is about half as leachable as nitrate. So if you're in a situation, again, where you have lots of rain, light soil, you got to spoon feed it. Heavy soil, not much rain, you can put it all on up front.
0: All right, thanks for the questions, Cody. Got this from Sam out in Washington, and Sam said, we've got a water table that's at about 4 feet, and our soil pH is in the 8.2 to 8.4 range. This ground grows some great alfalfa for us and also some good corn in areas. But I'm trying to think of ways to improve this ground is your answer? What would you recommend?
1: Well, I'd like to see the soil test. Let's put it this way. If I don't have any big soil issues, in other words, excess sodium, excess salt, excess magnesium, and I have fairly decent drainage, then that doesn't sound like a real big problem to me. Just knowing the state of Washington, it's much more arid than a lot of the other corn growing areas. So uh, where I'm going with this is to think that that water table is going to raise way up quickly like it can happen for us or even worse, you get to Minnesota, Illinois, Iowa. I mean, literally that water table can go up two feet in two days and that's a real problem. If you've got it at four feet, that's not a real big problem. Okay. That is down below the root zone. You should be in pretty good shape. So as long as that, that water table is never getting above say two and a half, three feet, you're probably just fine without the tile. I would be thinking about maybe other nutrients, but again, I don't have the soil test, so I can't say for sure.
0: All right, thanks for the for the question, Sam. This one comes from Grant. He said we've got a group of folks that are all coming together to the Neil Kinsey workshop, and and we're using a different lab than Neil's, wondering would you guys or Neil be able to provide some feedback on our soil test results and recommendations from this other lab? We're already sensing some issues. If we can only get valid soil test results or recommendations from Neil's lab or from Midwest, Uh, we've got a diverse group, and we need some help interpreting some of these results.
1: Yeah, so we can absolutely help you with that. I I mean, if it's a different lab that we're not familiar with, then – we're going to at least get you close but I I wouldn't get that worried about it it's probably going to be just fine we can give you a general idea on things and quite frankly that's all it usually is anyway soil tests are never going to be absolutely perfect 100 percent accurate but as long as you get close and you're heading in the right direction then everything is usually fine
0: yeah it is it is a fun time uh so neil's seminar if you if you're interested in hearing neil kinsey He's doing a three-day seminar. You can find the in, the information at agphd.com. If you want to come to the seminar, you sure can sign up for that. But you can also do it virtually. There is an option where you could watch it at home. But the one of the benefits of coming to the workshop is you get to talk to Neil and to a number of other agronomists that we work with. And we can try and help you with whatever soil test that you bring. So if you're interested in that, check it out again at agphd.com. That's coming up towards the end of February. Thanks for listening to our program today. Thanks for all the calls. Thanks for all the questions. We appreciate that. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio.